Dadhood. Modern Dadhood Podcast. Um, what do we do? Well, I think we started the show. Uh, press the buttons. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a bit, Mark. It's been uh, equally as long on my side. Funny how that works. That's the way time works. This is Modern Dadhood. It's an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. Who are you, sir? My name is Mark Checkett, and I'm a dad to twin boy three-and-a-half-year-olds. We just got to the point where we were like, You're, it's a half-birthday. Not that we celebrate that, but we gave them the information so now they can respond when somebody says, Oh, how old are you? They can say, Three-and-a-half. Oh, three-and-a-half. They were, it's big. Three and a half. You sound, my God, you sound just like them. <laughs> and my name's Adam Flaherty. I'm a father of two daughters who are, well, I'm going to do the half thing too, mm, seven okay. and a half and four and a half. And four and a half. Halves matter. They do. Not when you're almost 40. Yeah, I prefer not to introduce myself as being 39 and a half years <laughs> old. You just don't go there. We also are just coming back from our first ever break. It wasn't really a planned thing, was it? No, it's just life. Life hits you like that, bro. I got really busy with some stuff. I know you're sort of perpetually busy. So we decided uh, we're going to put the show on hiatus and take a little, uh, what do you call it? A sabbatical. Yeah. The, un- the universe was ju- trying to point us in that direction. We finally just opened our eyes to it. But we're back now. Back. Before we took our short sabbatical, you and I, if you remember, Mark, had an awesome conversation with Jordan Shapiro. Big fan of his book now. Fantastic book, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. And if memory serves me correctly, we we weren't very nice to him. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. You remember, you're remembering it differently than me. I feel like I was nice. Yeah, you were polite. Um, I, I, did, I did ask him to uh, define a lot of things because I know he's smart. I just, I felt, I mean, as I do with a lot of our guests, I felt like I had a lot to learn by talking with him. Well, we'll play that interview back very soon, but before we do, I wanted to uh, play this sound. Hey. Yes. Are you a feminist, Mark? I don't know if I know how to answer that question yet. I think that I'm still learning a lot about it. And I think that I'm trying to go to sort of embody some of the ideology and, and be an advocate. But like with a lot of my life, that part is still a work in progress. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the best feminist. That's, you know what? Can I take your answer? Cause yes, I feel like now that, that I've done I'm going to sound like that guy that just fucking read a book and has, is now enlightened. But honestly, and I don't mean to blow smoke either, uh, you know, reading this book and having conversations with, with you and, and other guests uh, and just reading other books and also just becoming a dad and looking at the world differently. All of these things have opened up a lot in my mind. Uh, and so and so, yes, I'll say that I, too, am a feminist, but. It's a work in progress. Um, and there's a lot to, to get better at in that, in that vertical. Even if 
being an active feminist in your everyday life is still something that you're working towards and and sort of shooting for and aspire to, can you say without hesitation that you subscribe to the ideals of feminism? Yes, absolutely. Um, And especially with the way that Jordan defines it, which is a definition that he uses another author definition, an author by the name of Bell Hooks. Uh, Bell Hooks defines feminism as the movement to end sexism, sexist exploitation, and oppression. That's it. It's very simple. And I feel like I 100% agree with that. So why do so many people have this idea that like feminists believe that, you know, women are superior to men or death to all male counterparts and right or, yeah. or or that only women can or should be feminists. Yeah. Or or if you are a man and you identify yourself as a feminist, then that means you have to have uh, like effeminate traits. You That's know, an or, interesting one. Or somehow you are not a man. You know, there's a lot of mis- misunderstanding and misconception out there. Where did these misconceptions even come from? I think that's a huge question. And I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of our systems that are in place favor men and they're designed to do so. And I, and I think that men, traditionally speaking, historically have had a vested interest in trying to keep things that way. And so certain narratives are spun and perpetuated um, to paint Things like feminism that might be out there working to challenge that male leaning status quo in a bad light. And I think that's where a lot of that stuff comes from, which to me is the first step of that journey is this definition, which objectively speaking is pretty hard not to look at and say, yeah, that's a good thing to aspire to end sexism, sexist exploitation oppression like of course of course equality for everybody regardless of their sex or gender or race or ethnicity or age or weight or fucking whatever you know what i mean mm-hmm. like of course mm-hmm. it's just such common sense i think that the the word feminism or feminist can sometimes trigger a feeling of exclusion for men right. and when you feel like you are excluded or seen as sort of the enemy how do you justify also saying yes i'm part of this and i support this mm-hmm. and you shared bell hooks definition of feminism i just googled the word feminism and it literally the definition that that google spits back to me is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. Like who can't get behind that? Like as a dad of two young women, of course, of course I want them to grow up in a world where they have an equal shot at opportunities where they are paid the same as a man who does the same job where Mm -hmm. they can do their own thing. They could start their own business. They can be leaders. You know, I want them to have everything that they want and everything that they work towards. And I don't know who wouldn't want that. You know, even if you don't have kids, even if you have two twin boys, like how could you not support 
the simple idea that feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of the sexes. Mm-hmm. I, my feeling is, is that maybe a lot of dads like us and our, in our age, we, we just, we we have a fair amount of work to do still in understanding. And it's sort of incumbent upon us to, to take the steps now. I fully and unequivocally support everything about feminism and I'm actively working to be the best feminist and the best feminist dad that I can. Will you finally take the truck nuts off your car? That scrotum hanging from my trailer hitch will be there forever. (laughs) Well, on that note, what do you say we play back our interview with Jordan Shapiro? Uh, I'm okay with it. Press the buttons. Jordan Shapiro is a senior fellow for the Joan Gantz Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop. He's a non-resident fellow in the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institute. He teaches at Temple University in Philly, where he lives. He's a critically acclaimed author, and somehow in and around all of that, uh, he's also a dad to two biological children and two stepchildren. And I'll end by saying this. These days, I feel like the term thought leader gets thrown around uh, without much care. Um, But I think in Jordan's case that it's a very appropriate characterization. Jordan, thank you so much for being with us today on Modern Dadhood. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm glad you said that because my kids are always teasing me whenever anyone calls me thought leader. They're always like, oh, I'm a thought leader. So I'm going to play them that intro and I'm, and I'm going to be like, see, hey, it's yeah, it's documented now. Yeah, well, I hear the term a lot used with with little care, uh, but I, I really mean it in this case. In this case, I think you absolutely fall right into that that category. Thank you. Um, well, we, we like to start off a lot of these discussions by just asking, who's Jordan Shapiro? I don't mean to say we start off all of our interviews with other people by asking, who is Jordan Shapiro? <laughs> <laughs> but we like, to, we like to often begin by asking our guests uh, a little bit to share a little bit about who they are, um, who are you, and, and, and tell us maybe a little bit about your family before we get rolling. Who is Jordan Shapiro? Oh, um, I don't know. These days, I like to think of myself as author first. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 43 years old. I feel like you go through a lot of different types of dreams and aspirations in your life, and each one you create a whole identity of who you who you are as you sort of wish what you could be. So, uh, for the last few years, it's certainly been uh, been author, and 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 uh, and I'm very proud of myself and what I've managed to achieve while 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 pretending that that's who I am. So. How about your identity as dad? Can you share a little bit about sort of your family and and who who you feel you are as a father? Yeah, I mean, I don't know who I am as a father. I mean, I'm still figuring it out. I mean, I, I talk about this in the book, especially towards the end of the book, is that I was so sure that like when I had kids, I was suddenly going to feel like a grown up, right? Like, <laughs> like the, that, that's what it was going to take. I still don't. I still like, like I'm, when I'm around my older brothers, I'm still like, when am I going to be grown like them, right? They have jobs and kids. Like, why, why do I still feel like they're older than me? And then, you know, as a parent, 
I've, I've obviously written, uh, written now two books about, about that and what that, what that means. So I've put a lot of thought into it, but mostly the reason these books come out is because I'm really still very confused about it. And on the one hand, I think I'm probably more confident and more secure than 99% of parents. I mean, I got the Sesame Workshop stamp of approval, right? But on the other hand, I am just full of constant doubt and shame and fear, right? So I'm, I, I think I'm both more confident and more willing to uh, to acknowledge my own vulnerability than most people. And that's not, I don't even know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, you've certainly got some very good responses. I mean, just the back of the book itself has some wonderful praise from some really wonderful names. And but I found the book very interesting. It's I think just the care that you take with the way that you put your ideas forward. And it it seems that you kind of have this propensity for exploring the history of words and like the origin of words that you're using. And so just for that fact alone, I think throughout this conversation, we might ask you to, to define a couple of things. And what I'd love to do right out of the gate, what is feminism? How, how do you define that? Feminism is, is in some ways an easy, an easy thing to define and in some ways a really hard thing to define. You know, I, I like to go with the simple definition, which is that feminism simply describes a, a commitment to ending any kind of exploitation or oppression or prejudice that's based on gender. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I sort of go with a big, broad definition like that. Some people want a, want a much more specific uh, definition. And of course there's a whole history of, of, you know, trying to turn it into some kind of, <laughs> some kind of evil ruin the world, witchcraft <laughs> st story, which, which, which I, which I of course reject, but in the, in the basis of how I approached it in father figure was this is, really about being committed to equality and inclusivity and 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 just sort of mm -hmm. allowing all all people to to live a life of dignity. Yeah, I, you just used the word inclusivity. I've I've heard you when talking about the book, I've heard you use the term radical inclusivity, which is super intriguing and I'm just wondering if maybe you can expand on that definition a little bit. You know, what I mean by it is really just total inclusivity. You know, I'm, I'm really committed to all humans, regardless of who they are, deserve respect and deserve to live a life of, of, of freedom and deserve to live a life with autonomy and agency. And one of the things, the reason that it's a large part of father figure is because I believe that as parents, our job is to raise our kids in ways that model that commitment, right? All the time. And by the way, I'm not saying you've got to like everyone else, right? Like you can, you can hate people. I don't care if you hate people who have the different politics than you or for some other stupid reason you want to hate them. Just, I'm just saying you can't get in the way of them having autonomy and agency and dignity and, 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 and freedom. Um, you know, I'll give you a simple parenting example of where we can do that and model that in our everyday lives. When my kids were really, 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 really little, you know, we would drive to New Jersey from Philly. You have to go through a toll booth. Actually, the toll it's the other way, the way from New Jersey to Philly, they, they you know, they make you, uh, they make you pay to get out of Jersey because there's, you know, once you're there, you want to leave. Um, yep. <laughs> no, I, I I'm used, sorry. I, used to live I'm, there. I know what you're saying. No, but I want to apologize to all the Jersey people <laughs> listening. Be free for that. My whole family is from Jersey. <laughs> so I'm really making fun of my own parents. Um, but I will, but I will say, um, you know, I, as I would go through those toll booths, I would go really out of my way to, 
look at the toll booth collector in the eye and say, you know, how are you today? How are you doing? Um, you know, not just to see them as sort of a receptacle for my coins. Um, and that was not so much, you know, I, I, I know it's a little bit extreme, but it was really important to me that my kids saw that, right? My kids saw that I was, that I was teaching them that everyone deserved to be treated the same way I would treat their teachers, the same way I would treat their grandmother, the same way I would, I would treat anyone all, all day long. Um, same thing in restaurants, same thing, you know, if we were just like ordering from an ice cream counter, really going out of my way to show that I saw this person as an equal human, not as someone whose job it was to serve me. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, I think I use radical inclusivity maybe more, would have been more accurate to say, you know, comprehensive mm-hmm. <laughs> incl- inclusivity by, by, by the way I use it, but I like the way radical sounds. Um, and I think that that's like, that's a, such a wonderful thing to model for our kids and such a good lesson for them. And I think that the, the challenge with the word feminism is like, it's the word has this stigma with it for whatever reason. And First and foremost, like we need to get past the fact that just the word itself has these misconceptions and can be a trigger for people. What are some steps that dads listening can take to sort of get past all those things that feminism like is not (laughs) always believed that it was for their whole lives? Yeah, I mean, just get over it, right? <laughs> that's, that's, exactly, that's the whole right. step. Read the book. And then read, read, right, exa- exactly. Um, <laughs> yep. I mean, it's so crazy, right? Because you can like talk to, if you talk, and I did this when I was writing the book all the time, I would ask people when I was out to dinner, anytime I would go, go, so how do you feel about gender equality, parents? And they'd all be like, I'm for it. I love, ge-. you know, I mm-hmm. definitely want my daughter to thrive. And then I'd be like, so are you a feminist? And they'd be like, oh, no way. I'm like, <laughs> no way. Like, that's extreme. That's crazy. Yeah. You just don't know what it means. And I do think it's about lack of understanding. It's what inspired me to write the book in the first place is I was looking around at the world and I was seeing the Me Too movement happening. And I was seeing, you know, you, you can barely watch the news for 10 minutes anymore without seeing someone called out for racism or misogyny. And rightfully, I'm not on the side of like, this is ter-, you know, like rightfully going, hey, there's a lot of problems in the world and we need to call them out and start talking about them. But what I also saw was that most men didn't have the language to to talk about it or the language to look at themselves with that consideration. And so what I wanted to do was help them because what I saw was, was men sort of so insecure, so worried about something they didn't understand that it was becoming reactive, right? I picked the, the, the I, I mean, we, it took us a really long time to come up with a subtitle for this book um, um, and to decide whether we were gonna, even going to use the word feminist on the cover in big letters, which is uh, a risk. Um, but it was a long conversation. And part of the reason is because at the core of the book, the book is about how bad ideas about gender and masculinity in particular are caught up in the way we think about fatherhood and therefore harm both fathers and their families. What I didn't want to do is like name it how to be a good dad. And then someone would pick it up and be like, whoa, there's so much about gender in this book. I w- I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to like bait and switch. Right. Sure, I yeah. wanted it to be clear what you, what you were getting. So, you know, t- t- to me, it's just sort of, you, you got to acknowledge that so much of the reason that there is all this baggage caught up in the word feminist is because of a really intentional 
campaign to go, hey, you know, uh, feminist theory is going to get in the way of existing power structures. And so they did things like say, they're feminazis, they want to cancel men, right? All all these things that, of course, there's a few crazies in every group, right? In every ism, there's a couple (laughs) crazies, right? But, you know, I know a lot of feminists, I know a lot of really famous feminists, not one of them would ever say they want to cancel men, not one of them is, you know, that's not, that's not the point. And you said it really nicely in the book that it's not, you know, I think it's right in the, the prologue of the book is, is this is not something that you can just learn and implement and suddenly you're all better. And, you know, it's something that is you need to constantly practice. I guess you described that parenthood and family life are undergoing what you call this existential transformation. Clearly, in our lifetimes, we've seen the role of the dad evolve in a a really big way. I just wonder through your research, Jordan, if you have a sense of what fatherhood could look like in another 10 or 20 years. Yeah, it's a a great question. I mean, the first thing I want to say to that is, um, first, that we have to sort of reconcile the myth that there's ever been anything that's that's steady, right? Like for more than a, for right. more than a generation, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I sort of imagine if my great-grandfather were to watch the way I parent, I think he'd be totally shocked, right? I think I, even my father, I think if he sat at the dinner table, like I think if they heard the way he, the words they use, the kind of like dirty language that is like <laughs> acceptable at my table because I want it to be open to talk about sex and I want it to be open to talk about, you know, I think my father would be like, I can't believe you're talking about this with your kids, yeah. right? Um, uh, so, so all of that already shows you that there's constant change. And so much about father figure is is about sort of breaking down this notion that things that have been normal for the, at least the last couple generations are eternal, right? And 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 I go and I did a lot of research around this, and I found that most of what we think of as so-called traditional fatherhood um, is actually industrial age. Mm-hmm. fatherhood, right? Like it wasn't what it was mm-hmm. in the ancient world. It wasn't what it was in the middle ages. It wasn't what it was in the 1700s. It's what it was when industrialization started and it's what it's been since. So when you ask me what's the future, it's always sort of hard to to predict the future. But what I will say is I think the future, and it's why I wrote the book, is parenting that is, you know, we're learning and the research has proven it, but now it's starting to, to, to seep into our lives that parenting is not gender specific, right? Like all these things we've learned about like mother's instincts and father's roles, right? Right. Like these things had nothing to do with gender, right? Like, I mean, it might be good that you have like one parent who's the stoic and the other parent who's the nurturer, but it, there's no reason it has to, you know, that doesn't have to correspond with gender. Right, right, right. right. Like, right. Another, right. right? I don't know yeah. if that's good. By the way, I'm not saying it is good. I'm just saying, like, the, right. You know, the, the the jury's still out on whether you yeah. need parents to have different roles or if everyone should just be the same. You know, it may be true that that most women are better nurture at nurturing, but it's because they've had more practice and have trained been trained to be that because we assume that it is so. Right. It's not because they have some like nurturing gene or some like special neurons that the rest of us don't have in our brains. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's certainly a, a, a concerted effort. It seems to place genders on certain paths from the very beginning. I mean, the very beginning. I certainly feel as if a lot of the times I'm kind of stuck on this line where on one side are past 
experiences that I'm pulling from. So past experiences with my own father and in my life. And then, of course, there's no shortage of TV dads out there, and they certainly fulfill a lot of that past sort of just understanding that we sort of live in this ever-changing landscape and that the role of father, of the father or the father figure is something that's evolving and that I too am going to evolve into something. Do you sort of feel that on a larger scale, we're at kind of a tipping point right now in terms of how society views and defines what it means to be a dad? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I'm certainly doing work to try to make that happen. Um, that's certainly part of what that book is about. But the example I was just thinking of, as you were talking about the 1980s, is like, yeah, they were ramming all that down our throat, but there were also a lot of TV shows that seemed really progressive. And I mean, progressive, not in the yeah. sense of liberal, right? I mean, yeah. it just in terms of like, you know, future forward, right? Like who's the boss was like this, like, you know, Tony Danza, Tony Danza. In right. So here it looks like you're playing with gender roles, but of course what's going on in the whole show is the silliness of the idea that right, those exactly. gender shows would be different. So it sort of reinforces it at the same time, but it wasn't the only one, right? Like we had, um, what was it called? Three Three Men and a Baby was the movie, but there was a, My Two Dads. My Two Dads oh, yeah, was there, yeah, mm-hmm. right? So we had a lot of, or or even Full House, right? We had these shows to some extent, that, yeah. that, that seemed to be pushing those limits and at least seemed to be normalizing certain things. And I think they did in some ways, but at the same time, they also reinforced ideas about gender essentialism. And so you never know. Like, I do think we're at a moment where we are talking about gender and and not just gender. I mean, we're talking about race. We're talking about ethnicity. We're talking about inequality more than ever before. We are also seeing a backlash. Like, I I feel like we haven't seen in in almost 100 years, not quite 80 years. But at the same time, you know, I like to hope that that means we're moving towards something new. It yeah. could mean <laughs> that we're sort of in a holding pattern. So we just talk about it for a long time. Um, right, right. I, I mean, that's sort of pessimistic and skeptical, but let's go with the optimism. Yeah, yes, go, we're, yes, go. yes, we're at a breaking point. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, I, I don't have the depth of experience clearly that you do in the, in the subject, but it, from where I'm sitting, I mean, it does seem like there's, the pendulum is swinging the other, other way. When I think about it, I, I, I think... I feel a little, I feel hopeful, I think. I, I um, certainly feel very, very hopeful. Um, but I, I'm also, as a, as a serious academic researcher, I'm, all, I'm always like, well, if we can't really prove it, I have to, I have to frame it with a little bit of skepticism. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know for me, like a, a addressing this stuff and talking about it and having dialogue with other people can be very intimidating if I don't, if I'm worried about offending somebody or just looking like you're naive or ignorant to it. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's an important thing and it's certainly very real. I think that's that is where we get some of the big fear of so-called cancel culture. Right. Is that pe- is that people are like I, are really scared that they might say something and suddenly everyone's going to be mad at them. It's going to ruin their whole career and their whole lives. They're going to lose their whole family just because they said the wrong word. I mean, uh, 
on the one hand, I don't think it's really true. Or, <laughs> I like it, it doesn't really sure. happen. And I think part of it is just a sort of basic humility. We make mistakes. I don't think any of them are upset that you, you know, by people being stupid, they're upset by people being hateful. Yeah. You know, when right. you make a mistake, you say, I'm sorry. And you say, please help me figure out how to not make this mistake next time. Because the last thing I ever want to do is get in the way of someone's sense of dignity. Right. The last thing that you said, sort of this willingness to be open to the fact that you might be wrong or that you, you might not actually know everything. So you're probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> probably. That, that is one of those things, right? That f- falls and I'm generalizing here, but like men don't want to be told that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that's one of those, those things that a place for men in particular to start is to face facts and come to terms with the fact that yes, you are in fact, wrong sometimes and you need to own that and you need to be open and willing to say well shit you're right i'm sorry and being open to whatever follows after that and and you're totally right to say that that's difficult because of you know some researchers call this impossible masculinity um um which is this idea we have that you're you know this I mean, I think everyone will know what it is if I just start, you know, describing it a little bit, right? This idea that there's an alpha male, this idea that you are supposed to be the king of the hill, this idea that you're always supposed to be right, this idea that you have to show strength, this idea that you should be a leader all the time and never a follower, um, um, this some researchers would call this impossible masculinity. This is what we're all taught to 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 see as men. This is who we should be. This is who we should strive to be, and it is impossible to achieve. Why is it impossible to achieve? Because there is only room for one person to be the to, to be the alpha male in, 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 in any group. And so even if you are lucky enough to be that in one group in your life, there's some other group where you're not, where your boss is higher than you or the police are higher than you. Or, you know, even when you're the president of the United States, we just had one who was really obsessed with an impossible masculinity. I alone but can fix it. I alone. But uh-huh. even anytime anyone insulted him, he was immediately mm-hmm. like hurt and pain, in pain and like, He knew on some level that he was not achieving this at all. And so men walk through life with this notion that they are failing to achieve the male ideal, right? Which causes all this hurt and then this defensiveness and then this doubling down. And it gets to, uh, it gets to what you were just saying, right? So then they're afraid to admit when they're wrong because that would mean you're not king of the hill. And so Mm -hmm. they double down rather than do it or, they go home and they become abusive or sometimes just, you know, sometimes seriously abusive, sometimes mm-hmm. just an asshole, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're not hurting anyone. You just know that no one wants to live with you, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but but all of that is a compensation for masculinity that's, that's impossible. You know, we're all trying, as you said, to play these roles, to play these parts. That part in the book, I mean, it's throughout the whole book, but the book opens with this idea about how we play the roles that we play. And and actually what really solidified that for me is my, my good friend, Ben Lee, I went to a show of his many, many years ago and he opened it by, by going, so we're going to play a game. I'm going to pretend I'm a musician and you pretend you're the audience and let's see what happens <laughs> unless anyone has a better idea. I don't know if he even remembers yeah. doing this, but I thought it, I do it in every class now. Like I start, I go, I'm going to pretend I'm the teacher. You pretend you're the students. And I mean, I think it's so brilliant because it reminds us that mm-hmm. even in the most 
obvious, normal situations of our lives, we've decided to take on certain characteristics and we've decided mm. to live into certain um, games, right? Certain scripts, right? Like if you think about student and teacher, for example, like I teach in a university, these are adults I teach. Like they have no reason they have to sit and listen to me. They're adults, right? They have decided to let me grade them. They have decided to let me be the authority, right? For no reason other than that there's a piece of paper they get after four years, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's fine. Nothing bad about that. But I think we need to acknowledge that those are roles we've chosen to play and not essential core ideas about who we are as people, right? I'm not better than you because I have a PhD. I, it's just, I'm an, I, I just means I'm better at playing this particular role than my students. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you're absolutely 100% better than me because you have a PhD. <laughs> you're probably better than both of us combined. I don't yeah. know if yeah. that's true. I don't yeah. know if that's true. I think it does mean I probably have an easier schedule than you, <laughs> but, but I had to work my butt off to get there. <laughs> yeah, you, you earned it. Yeah, it's totally, it's fair. It's 100% fair. For me, I think one of the biggest takeaways from this book, Father Figure, has been that as a dad, I think I, shifting the understanding of the dad role from one of authority to one of uh, responsibility and adaptability it seems very powerful. And I don't know if it's just where I am at the particular moment with my kids, but it, that notion, that idea really, really speaks to me. And I think it's really important. And if anything, I would recommend getting this book and reading it to explore that particular thing. I, I think what you're just saying, that authority versus responsibility, which I'm still working on too, right? I mean, I, I think this is the hardest thing. And I think, you know, if I were to put it in a really simple way that I think a lot of people could relate to, it is almost every father I've ever met cares so deeply and wants to do so much to make everything great for their family, for their spouses, for their children. They are always trying to make everyone comfortable and happy. They are actually sacrificing so much in order to make everyone happy. Now, there's also a crazy line between trying to make everyone happy and controlling everyone. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard line to walk and to identify. And, and uh, even as someone who's spent a lot of time researching and thinking about it, I, there are lots of days where I go, whoa, Jordan, you're in this authority mindset mm -hmm. where you're trying to control. You're no longer caretaking. You're forcing them to be what you want them to be. So it's easier for you to care for them and to have your narrative of how great you are. Um, yes. And that's, a hard, that's the hardest thing, I think, for dads right now. So Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad, uh, Jordan, can be found probably just about anywhere a book can be purchased. Where do you like to recommend that people buy it? Should we direct our listeners just to jordanshapiro.org? They can go to jordanshapiro.org or if they're easier to remember is feministdadbook.com, which goes the same place. And you can follow me on all the social media at, at jordosh, which is J-O-R-D-O-S-H. Well, thank you so much for the book. And we're really uh, delighted that you were willing to join us on the show. And hopefully we can uh, do this again one day and maybe maybe go back and talk about your first book, which is like another <laughs> another mind blower. Yeah, I would love it if if at some point in the future you would entertain me doing this again. We can talk a little bit more yeah, sure. you know, about some of the other uh, about some of the other ideas and, and, and thoughts you have. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all your listeners that are listening. 
happen to have something for a recurring segment, do you? Because I'm I'm not gonna lie, I came ill prepared. I do. I have a did I oh nope. This is a you thing. I'm about to share an installment of Did I just say that out loud? And here it goes, with no context whatsoever. Here's what I said out loud. Tell your sister there's a no stabbing rule in our family. Okay. Tell your sister there's a no stabbing rule in our family. So no stabbing rule. Okay. I wanted to make sure I understood that part of it right. It's exactly (laughs) what it sounds like. The girls are seven and a half and four and a half and they, they love each other to death, but they just are bickering all the time and driving each other crazy and one and, and telling on each other all the time too, which makes me nuts. For some reason, I'm picturing them trying to simultaneously each make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't know what they were doing. They were in a different, it wasn't the kitchen. They were in a different room, living room or something. Older one calls out to me. She just tried to stab me with what she just tried to stab me with something. The older one says that of the younger one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not that concerning. They're not playing with knives or anything, but, uh, but did you go right to, <laughs> did you go right to tell your sister there's a no? Yeah. Isn't because it's funny? like, it's so laughable. Like you gotta yeah. just, you've got to have fun with it. Right. I feel like early in the parenting journey, maybe the response would have been like a little <laughs> bit more panicky. <laughs> Yeah. Holy shit. Holy shit. I got to run in there and see why one of my kids has a knife and is maybe (laughs) trying to stab the other one. But then you kind of get to a point where you, 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 you're, you understand a little bit better. No, you know, the tools, the limited tools in their arsenal. And if one's telling on the other one, then it it can't be that serious. Just can't. It's probably not an actual stabbing. Tell your sister there's a no stabbing rule in our family. That's it, Mark. That's it. We, we're done. I can't do another minute of this. <laughs> Dads, you can find us at moderndadhood.com on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you like to listen. Please follow us. And if you're feeling generous, uh, leave us a very quick rating and a review. Uh, also, tell a friend if you think of it. If you're tell hanging out with hanging out with your buddies, your dad buddies, mention Modern Dadhood. Let them know. You know what else you should also do while you're out there talking to your friends? Uh, follow us uh, on Instagram, Facebook. We have got a YouTube channel which we don't talk about often but there is some pretty fun content there and you might see our faces and our guests faces from time to time so that's nice if you really dig the show you can on moderndadhood.com find a link to purchase t-shirts and dad hoodies who uh, that are soft comfortable and look good on just about anybody almost anybody but i'm gonna tell you right now it didn't fit my dog well at all did you cut armholes or leg holes in the dog yeah, did you cut holes in the dog to fit the... No, I didn't think of that. I should have. You know what else you should do? You should write us at hey at moderndadhood.com. You know, tell us stuff like stop talking about hurting your dog, you weirdos. Thank you to Casper Baby Pants and to Spencer Albee for the music in Modern Dadhood, to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for making us sound spectacular, 
and to Jordan Shapiro for joining us for this awesome conversation about his new book, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. And to to Ben, Ben Lee, for introducing us to Jordan's work. Thanks, man. And as always, we want to end the show by saying thank you for listening. (laughs) 